Well, happy Mother's Day, Christ Chapel. Hello to all of you, and happy Mother's Day to those of you uh, in Tarrant County, Parker County, Johnson County, around the world. Uh, thank you so much for uh, making worship a part of your uh, celebratory weekend, and to all of those who came along with mom, uh, thank you for, uh, from mothers to you uh, for coming with them to worship, and hope you have uh, great things planned after this. Uh, I personally am so thankful for all of our mothers, uh, thankful for you and your investment into your family, certainly uh, spiritually. So thank you to all moms, uh, single moms, uh, grandmothers, uh, spiritual mothers. Uh, you guys play, uh, you guys, I'm sorry. You moms, you ladies play such a great and tremendous role in the foundation uh, of our church and the discipleship of that next generation. So super thankful for you. Uh, and I know how hard it can be. I, I, I honestly think that mothers, like just motherhood in general, is really the hardest job in the world. Um, the, the energy that you must exert, the expectations that other people put on you and that you put on yourself, uh, just it, it's, uh, I can imagine it's unbearable most of the time. And you keep that job for a lifetime. Uh, you hold it down for a long time. The hardest job I ever had, I was only able to keep down for a summer. And then I, I gave up. Uh, the hardest job that I ever had was uh, when I was in high school. I was 15 years old. It was between my sophomore and junior year in high school. And I joined a concrete crew uh, where I poured concrete in Texas for a summer. You can understand why I quit after a summer. Um, it was awful. I mean, obviously, the work was hard. Um, the, uh, the heat was unbearable. Uh, the hours were, were crazy. I mean, I can remember there were mornings where I, the truck would pick me up at 1.45 a.m., uh, and we would end at about 3 p.m. Because in Texas, you have to pour the concrete before it gets too hot. It has to have time to settle, so it can't, it can't uh, dry out too fast. And so that's why we had to wake up that early. And so it was a really, really tough job. But it's fun to now go back home and kind of see some of those uh, houses that we poured foundations for or businesses that we poured foundations for and all those things to see that they're actually still standing. Um, you know, I, I want to go in and I'm like, I'm like, do you know I was 15 years old when I did this? I'm like, I don't think they want to know that. And so I, I spare them that. I, I don't tell them that. But it's fun to see those things that, that, you, that you invest energy in that, that they actually, uh, they, they last. We all want to build things that last, all of us. We want to know that the energy that we put into things, that it, it's sustained, that, that there's stability to those things. And we, we want to build things that last when it comes certainly to family with relationships uh, to physical homes, to careers, to portfolios, to legacies, all of those things we want to build to last. Everybody has that same desire, but not everyone experiences the same outcome. Uh, sometimes things last and sometimes things don't. We all have that same desire, but we don't have the same outcome. Why is that? You see, sometimes those things that we try to build, uh, circumstances change in the future. Or, or adversaries come and, and they attack. Storms come and they beat on those things that we build to last. And sometimes those things crumble and fall. Why do some things last 
and some things don't. You see, I wish that I could tell you a way to, to foolproof all of those things in, in a way that you could hide yourself from the storms or, or defend yourself from all the adversarial attacks, and I don't have that magic bullet. I don't have that magic uh, solution. But we do know how to build our lives on an unshakable foundation, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you will, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to be in the very end of verses 24 to 29. You'll also need a copy of your sermon notes, and so please get those out because there will be some things on there that will not come up on the screens that I want you to see. Uh, Today, in some ways, sadly, uh, we are finishing our series Upside Down. I think it's been a wonderful series, and this is, remember, based on Jesus' most famous speech called the Sermon on the Mount. The reason why we've called it Upside Down is because Jesus is turning everything that the world thought was true upside down. Everything is opposite, and we saw throughout here, I think it was five times Jesus explicitly says to his audience, you've heard it said. You thought it was this way in the world, but I tell you, and he changes it, he turns it on its head. Everything is upside down. That's why we've had this. And so he's talked about everything that is upside down from uh, the Beatitudes, blessed are those who, (laughs) blessed are those who mourn. Now that's not what the world tells us. You know, blessed are the peacemakers. That's not what the world tells us. So everything is upside down from the way that the the audience thought it should be or thought that it was. And as we get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins to drive his audience to a decision. He gives them choices. You can go left or you can go right. You have these two choices, and we see that as he narrows, if this is what it's going to be like under my rule and reign in my kingdom, now decide if you want to be a part of it. If you want to be a part of it, you go my way. If you don't want to be a part of it, go the other way. And he drives this, and he does this with different comparisons at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. And I outlined this for you on your sermon notes just so that you can see because at the, in uh, verses 13 and 14, he talked about these two different gates. There's a wide gate and a narrow gate. Obviously, he wants you to go through the narrow gate. Jesus is the narrow gate to life. And the way that you walk that way, is, those are the two paths that he wants us to go down. The path that leads to life. What's well, only through him, because he is the way, the truth, and the life, No one goes to the Father. No one gets eternal or abundant life apart from him, that he wants you to walk that narrow way, down that narrow path. And then we talked about the two trees last week. There are two trees. There's bad fruit and there's good fruit. Follow the good fruit. Follow the good teachers. Don't be deceived by those false teachers. Don't be deceived by those false followers. See, he's talking about these decisions, these forks in the road. You can go his way or the highway. There is no other way, one of two. And he brings it to a conclusion, this Sermon on the Mount, with his very last comparison, which compares two different houses built on two different foundations. So let's look at verses 24 through 27. I just want to read it as a whole. Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on, a, on the rock. 
Notice a definite article there. Just interesting. The rock. Not a rock. The rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. May God bless the reading of his word and may our hearts be open to hear from him. And so as Jesus drives toward the end of this sermon, he gives you this comparison and and the, the analogy is clear. That the house represents your life. Everything that you spend your life building, the legacy, the the reputation, the, the relationships, all of those things. The analogy is very simple and the analogy is very clear. Now what I find ironic about this very last analogy that Jesus gives us in this contrast is that there is nothing upside down about it. I mean, we've been talking about how everything is upside down, but there's nothing opposite here. You ask a hundred people if they would rather build their life on sand or rock, and a hundred people are going to tell you rock. Everybody agrees to that. Everybody aspires to it. Everyone understands it. That's what everyone wants, yet not everyone does it. And that's what's interesting to me is Jesus makes this very clear at the end of this sermon that, that you can build your house on a rock and he knows that we want to do that. We just don't always know how. And so what I wanna do is I wanna tell you how Jesus says that you can build a life with a firm foundation, a life that can withstand the storms that are in this world and you will experience in life. It's never too late to start building. In fact, today is the best time to start. And so I wanna tell you how and then give you some applications for our time together. So first, building your life on a rock means obeying God's word. It means obeying God's word. Now I told you, notice the definite article there, the rock. God's word is the rock. Now, obviously, Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith, as Paul tells us in Corinthians. But what he's talking about here is the firm foundation of God's word. How do we know that God's word is a firm foundation? Well, some of my favorite verses, if you go back to the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, everything in this world fades, but the word of God remains forever. We even heard Jesus tell us this in Matthew chapter five, I believe it was verse 18, where he said, heaven and earth will not pass away before every jot, every tittle, every dot, every iota will be fulfilled in God's word. The reason why it's a firm foundation is because if God said it, it will come true. That's why it's a firm foundation. And that's why he says that a firm foundation is built on obedience to his word. Look at verses 24 and 26. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then if you skip down uh, to to the next portion, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not 
do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now, we all know this, but let me be explicit about it. It's one thing to hear, and it's another thing to obey. It's one thing to to read his word. It's another thing to to walk it out or to live it out. In fact, I know the New Testament was written in Greek. I get it. But in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word that is used for to hear actually implies to heed or to obey. Because the, the, the connotation is if you don't obey it, then you probably haven't heard it. Let me give you an analogy. If, if I told you, right, if, if, if you and I are in a conversation and I told you, there is a scorpion on your shoulder, and you said, okay, and you just looked at me and you kept talking, what do you think I would do? I would say, excuse me, I don't think you heard me. There's a scorpion on your shoulder. And until you did something about it, I would not think that you heard me. Until you uh, did something with the information that you had, I would go, no offense. I'd be like, you're thick-headed. Like, you do not hear me. Like, like it, why will this not get through your head? Like, you've got to do something. You are in danger. And that's what Jesus is saying here. It's foolish to hear something, to hear his word and not heed it or to obey it. See, it's foolish to only listen to God's word. I mean, certainly, obedience begins with hearing or reading, reading his word, but that's where it starts. But if you don't do anything with it, then it's foolish. In fact, in James chapter 1, verse 22, James tells us, do not only be hearers of the word, but be doers also, because if you're only a hearer, he says, you are, in this word, deceiving yourselves. You're deceiving yourself. See, knowledge cannot replace obedience. Don't deceive yourself. See, he doesn't want you to think, oh, I got it all, uh, I got it all on track because I know everything about God. Yeah, but have you applied it? That, that's the question. It's one thing to know. It's another thing to do. Uh, the boys, I have two boys, uh, 10 and 6. We have a, a little five-minute devotional time in the mornings. And uh, this past week, one, one of the, let me give you a pretext, one of the man rules, we have man rules in our house, the first man rule is men take care of their own stuff, okay? Men take care of their own stuff. So you gotta find your own shoes, you gotta you know, make your own lunch, you gotta, men, men take care of their own stuff. And so one of the taking care of your own stuff is doing all your stuff and being where you're supposed to be on time for our devotional. And they were not on time this particular morning. And I was talking to our six-year-old in particular, who may have been a tad bit late. And I, I told him, I said, listen, Hayes, you have to learn to take care of your own stuff. And he said, Dad, I've already learned it. You've told it to me. <laughs> I said, well, you obviously haven't learned it because you were late. You see, there's a difference there. He's not learned. He will learn that quickly. But... <laughs> He's not learning that you have to apply. When you apply it, you show me that you've learned it, not just because you know it. He knows man rule number one. He's just having trouble applying it. You see, it's foolish to think that just because I know it, that that is enough. That's why Jesus says it's wise to listen to God's word and apply it to your life. 
That's what's wise. When you look at, back at wisdom literature, wisdom literature, um, and what I mean by that is when you look at Ecclesiastes or Proverbs, those Old Testament books like that, when you look at it, the wise person has forethought. That, that is one characteristic of the wise. They, they plan ahead. They look ahead, which means that you can't procrastinate applying God's word. It's wise to apply it today, to, to do something about it now. Now's the time that you begin building that foundation, that firm foundation. So how do we do that? Well, you make God's word your daily authoritative guidebook. Make God's word your daily authoritative guidebook. Do, do you go here for all of your decisions? And you say, well, Cody, I don't know what decisions I'm gonna have to make throughout the day. Exactly. That's why you've got to be in this regularly. To, and not only be in this regular, regularly to, to, to learn it or to hear it or to read it, but to be ready to apply it because God's word is authoritative. And let me, let, let me show you, that's not just me saying that. Look at the very end of Matthew chapter 7. So we read to 27, but then I want you to read 28 and 29 with me. Verses 28 and 29, after Jesus finishes this most amazing speech to the crowd, it says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This was different and they could tell the weightiness that, that he spoke as someone who knew what was true and could actually fulfill what was true. Well, of course his word was authoritative because we know that Jesus is God. And his words carried that kind of weight. You see, it was different than their scribes. The scribes of the day were the ones that, you know, try to say, eh, you know, and put the finger to the wind. And they were the cultural commentators going, well, sometimes you can do this and sometimes you can do that. It wasn't authoritative. It was speculative. Jesus was not speculating. Jesus was saying, this is how it is. Live according to my rule and my reign and you will build your life on a firm foundation. You see, we build our lives on things that are shifting sand all the time. And whether you're, and see, that what, what matters here and what is authoritative is what you trust in. And, and, and if you're trusting in things that can change, if you're trusting in things that can be taken away, if you're trusting in other people's opinions, that's shifting sand. I mean, if, if you're trusting in your career, guess what? Your career could be gone. If you're trusting in your intellect, your intellect could be gone. If you're trusting in anything else but the one who says he is unchangeable and his word is unshakable, then you're building your life on shifting sand. That's not, that's not wise. It doesn't have the forethought to think about, well, these things could change. You see, he does not change. And his word does not change. That's why his word needs to be authoritative. Your highest authority. Don't trust your gut. People tell you that all the time. Trust his word. And here's why that matters. is because building your life on a rock 
is imperative because storms are inevitable. Storms are inevitable. Throughout scripture, storms were used poetically when it, when it talks about storms as a, a time of testing or a thing of testing. And what Jesus says here is the reason why it's wise and you're providing forethought to building a firm foundation is because storms will come. Jesus is the meteorologist that is 100% correct 100% of the time. Storms are going to come. That's what he says in verses 25 and 27. After he talks about the different uh, foundations, the one who obeyed God's word and then the one who just heard it, he says, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. I mean, when we think about storms of life, and my heart goes out to those of you that I know are in the midst of a storm right now, it feels like it just beats on you and you feel beaten up. That's what Jesus is, he is hitting an emotional chord here with his audience. He said, but that house, it didn't fall. Why? Because it had been founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built that house on sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat against that house and it fell and great, which means everything, was its fall. Nothing was left standing, completely obliterated, crushed, crashed to the ground. You see, what Jesus would have known would have been in the mind of his hearers is the terrain of the day. That there would have been times where it looks like these things are solid ground. And he said, sometimes though when the rain comes, it could provide a, a flood. And, and he said, when rain comes and flood, so you imagine very dry and arid land where you can you see things that it looks like solid rock, and then, but a rain comes in these deep wadis, and you wouldn't build a house in the middle of that, but I'm just trying to give you an idea. But that rain comes and will wash it away. It's, it's gone. That's the picture that he has here. And you say, but everything looked like it was firm. Everything looked like... It was great, yeah, but storms expose the sturdiness of that foundation. That's why it's a time of testing. The storm will expose what cannot be seen. See, we in society, we love to look at what is seen, and we love to build the outside image and what others see and what we project to others but what he's talking about here is the life that's unseen. That, that yeah, the, those things are nice, but that's window dressing. What, what is the firm foundation of your heart, your trust, the authority of your life? That's what he's, he's asking because those things are gonna get exposed. Yeah, in good times, when, when there is no rain, when there are no floods, it looks like both houses are just fine. Both houses can remain standing and you go, what is wrong with this? And some of you might be thinking that even today. You're like, Cody, this is hogwash. Like, my life is just fine. I'm telling you, that's not wise. Put some forethought into this, please, for your sake. Because storms will come. Storms are inevitable. That's what he says. 
And he wants you to have a sturdy foundation because sturdy foundations help us weather those storms. And let me tell you, for those of you today, I would love for somebody to begin a, a relationship with Jesus for the very first time today, to build your life on the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus that he paid for your sins in full. I, I would love for that to happen. Um, but let me tell you, that does not guarantee you a problem-free life. Storms are inevitable for those that are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. If you look at this, the, the exact same storm hits both houses. It's, it's verbatim, if you look at it. Exactly the same thing happens. What's the difference? It's your foundation. What, what is your foundation? You see, if your foundation is firm, deep down into God's love, you're not shaking. You go, okay, God, you can use this. It's awful. We live in a sinful and broken world, and he can redeem those things. He can restore those things. He can do wonderful things. But if you don't know who God is, then you don't have that hope. Your whole hope is in that life that crashed and had a great fall, and you're devastated by it. And I hate that for those folks. I want you to have a firm foundation. So how do you begin to do that? Well, you embed deep peers of God's promises before the storm comes. Please, please, please hear me say this. The time to build the foundation is not in the middle of the storm. The time to build the foundation is now. In fact, on the concrete crew that I was a part of, when it was stormy, guess what we did not do? Pour concrete. It, it, it would have gone everywhere. It would have been a complete mess. It would have been a disaster. In fact, I remember one time when it was raining, we went and cleaned out the warehouse. I mean, you find other work to do. You, you, you've got to do it when it is sunny in 75. When you go, I don't need this. Yeah, that's the time to do it. That's the time to put those peers down. What, it reminds me of, and when I was thinking of this, it reminded me of Luke's, the, the, the disciple Luke's, uh, the physician, his uh, account of what Jesus said here. In Luke chapter six, verses 47 and 48, he quotes Jesus as saying this, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house. But notice this little caveat, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Who dug deep. That's what I'm talking about, those deep peers. The deeper you apply God's word, the more firm your foundation will be digging deep into his word. And here's what that reminds me of. Do you know, when you dig, 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 dig deep, do you know what you hit? The solid, that solid substance? It's called bedrock. And isn't it ironic to you, it is to me, that what is so hard and firm, we describe as bedrock. As, as something soft. Is it something soft? No. It's called bedrock because you can rest on it. And that's what I want you to be able to do is to rest on his character, to rest on his word, to rest in him, even when the storms come. But you can only hit bedrock if you dig deep. Dig deep into his word. Dig deep into applying his word into your life. And so on this Mother's Day, moms, let me speak to you very quickly. 
because moms, I know that you want to build that foundation for every child. You wanna build the foundation for them and unfortunately you can't. They have to, they have to build their own foundation, uh, but moms, you can help those kiddos. And I wanna tell you very quickly for how you can help. And by the way, speaking of mothers and, and helping, um, I know that there's a, a draft that was leaked from the Supreme Court, and man, we are here as a church to support life, and we're here to support all of those mothers, and I know, moms, that can be a very hard situation, especially if it was unexpected, but we as a church are here to help you, and we're committed to helping you and that preborn child for your lives. And so, um, but moms, uh, today, I would just wanna say, um, the way that you can help your children is to equip your children to build their own faith through conversations and experiences. Equip your children to build their own faith through conversations and experiences. There was a study done. 68% of people said the most significant spiritual influence in their life was their mother. So moms, we need your help to equip them to build their own faith. Have those conversations. Give them those experience to, to serve others, to reach out to others, to apply God's word to their life. Second, encourage your children to hold on to God who will see them through their storms. Oftentimes, storms cause people to question God. But what, moms, we need your help to do is we need your help to help the, the knowledge of God frame how we see the storms and that God can get us through this, et cetera. God does have a plan. God can redeem this situation. God can bring good out of evil. And then finally, exemplify what it looks like to hold on to an unshakable God in our unstable word. Moms, keep living that example. I'm so proud of you. You're doing such a great job of living that example. Continue to do that because what Jesus is talking about here, this kind of discipleship, is not just taught, it's caught. And so we need to see you live that out in an everyday, on an everyday basis. And I wanna give you an example of what that looks like, an example of what it looks like of a mom uh, impacting uh, specifically a daughter. And then at each of our venues, we're gonna give you an opportunity uh, to honor your mothers there as well. A time that my mom really impacted my life is when my brother and I were really small and my mom would iron clothes for people to make a living. And while she was home with us and she was ironing clothes, she was also taking care of my grandfather who was um, dying of cancer. So um, watching her do that at a very young age instilled in me um, a really good work ethic to um, always work hard and contribute to your family. And so that was, that was a really big impact on my life at such a young age. 27, take one. So growing up, mom and I were, we had the typical mother-daughter relationship. Um, I was sassy and she was patient. Um, she has always just been very steady and she's always been there for me and my brother. And um, one thing I sincerely appreciate about her is that um, she was that pillar for me as far as showing me what it meant to be a woman of God and showing me what it meant to be steadfast in your faith, even through the more difficult times.
So growing up, some of the ways that we would show love to each other was by writing letters, leaving little notes around the house. That was a love language, kind of all of our own as a family. And so um, for Mother's Day, I wrote my mom a letter. Dear mom, there were so many times I heard you say, you'll understand when you have your own kids. I remember rolling my eyes and thinking, what is there to understand? Now, here I am. I have a husband and children and I'm creating my own life apart from the life you created for me. And I finally understand. I understand the importance of enduring hardships with grace and finding joy within the victories. I understand how to remain steadfast in my faith when life gets messy. I understand the challenges you faced as a mother and wife and why you relied so heavily on the Lord to bring you through it. That was great. So, um, <laughs> you good? Uh, yeah. So, what if I told you your mom has been here the entire time and heard everything you said? <laughs> I understand what you did to build a beautiful life for me, and all I can say is thank you. Thank you for showing me what a Proverbs 31 woman should be. Thank you for showing me the value in working hard and always doing my best. Thank you for being present. Thank you for never giving up even though you wanted to. Thank you for loving me even when I didn't deserve it. You have taught me how to be a sister, a wife, and a mother, but most importantly, how to be a woman who fears the Lord. If I can be half the woman you are when I grow up, I'll consider it one of my greatest accomplishments. You are my goal. You are who I look up to. You challenge me to be a better person, and I'm so grateful for that. You inspire me in so many ways. So thank you a million times over for being my mom. Even when I consistently beat you at dominoes, you still continue to love me. Until our next game. Until our next game. I love you so much. Love, Joanne.